The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. DD sells off in its first trading session since Chinese regulators announced a cybersecurity review of the ride-hailing business as Beijing looks to tighten its grip on overseas listings. The French finance minister Bruno Le Maire tells CNBC he is confident that Europe will find consensus on the new global tax deal and that the Biden administration will also rally support at home. We have the support of the U.S. administration. That's very good news. And I fully trust uh, Janet Yellen and the American administration uh, to convince the Senate and to uh, convince all the members of the American Congress that this is also in the interest of the American people to have this uh, international taxation agreement being implemented as soon as possible. The Pentagon pulls the rug from under Microsoft, cancelling a Trump-era $10 billion Jedi Cloud contract, opening the door for another bidding war with Amazon. Oil prices come off six-year highs after OPEC Plus calls off its latest output policy meeting amid a dispute among members. But Saudi Energy's minister tells CNBC the group is in accord. I do not recall anybody, be it on Thursday or Friday or even in our... Uh, discussion bilaterally with some members that anybody had had uttered the word that uh, we don't have an agreement. We have an agreement. And it's electric. China's rival to Tesla, Xpeng, lists in Hong Kong, raising $1.8 billion in a dual primary listing. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear that noise? The noise of lawyers in the United States sharpening their pencils as they await the flood of potential class action lawsuits as DD shares tumble almost 20% in Tuesday's session. This after Chinese regulators, as you will know, forced app stores locally to remove the company's ride-hailing app. If you're not familiar with Didi Chuxing, it operates a little bit like Uber in China and has ambitious plans to expand its business outside of the mainland. Well, this move now adds to a 5% fall on Friday when the cyberspace watchdog in China announced a probe into Didi's data use. Didi Chuxing says it did not know of the probe before its $4.4 billion US IPO last week. But multiple reports indicate that regulators had suggested the company delay the listing. Now, other US-listed Chinese tech companies also got hurt in yesterday's trading as China said it would increase supervision of overseas listings. New measures will include tighter regulation of cross-border data, a clampdown on insider trading and other illegal activities in securities markets, checks on fund sources 
and controls on leverage ratios. And as you can see, it was pretty ugly across the board as investors tried to understand what these new regulations mean now for the valuations of many of these technology companies. But let's go back to the source of the story. Let's go back to Didi Chuxing and catch up with Arjun in southern China. And Arjun, uh, our colleague uh, Evelyn Cheng has got a terrific piece on the website, which I've retweeted for our audience, where she basically takes us through everything that happened before the weekend announcement. And it is clear there were lots of red flags in the prospectus if you cared to look for them. It was also clear that DD had essentially tried to cover its back by pointing out the areas in which it wasn't meeting current regulations. My question would be at this stage though, is that going to be enough? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Jeff. We were talking a lot in the run-up to the IPO about the risks around this company. And one of the things I was flagging a lot is the regulatory risk, because what you're seeing in China in the regulatory landscape right now is a sort of flood of different rules coming in from different directions. Firstly, you've got rules around fintech. That's an area that DD plays in. You've got rules around antitrust. DD has somewhere in the region of 80-90% market share in China. And then on top of that, you've got a number of rules in the pipelines will be introduced this year around data and cybersecurity as well. And I think we're seeing that all come to the fore at this point. Now, Didi, as you mentioned, did flag a lot of these things in the prospectus. But the question, as you said, and we may see this play out in the courts, is whether that will be enough at this point to uh, appease or, or win, a, win a potential court battle at this point around the risk to this company and how much this company knew ahead of time. Now, the reports we're, we're seeing are suggesting that regulators had told Didi not to list at this point and to get their house in order effectively when it comes to cybersecurity. The issue is, and the way China sees it, is that Didi is a critical infrastructure. It's a transportation company with hundreds of millions of users operating across the company, able to uh, glean and collect and process huge amounts of data. And the Chinese government is concerned that by listing in the US and potentially being subject to some of the US auditing standards, that data from DD could find its way into the hands of the US government. And so they've enacted this cybersecurity review, a review process that only uh, was introduced last year and has been used publicly now for the first time on DD as a way of trying to say, I think one, warning other companies, perhaps not to do the same, but secondly, also to tell DD to get its house in order as well. So that's where we're at at this point in the story. I think there's so much more uncertainty coming forward as well at this point. What is going to be the impact of this review? How long would it take? Uh, what would Didi have to do to its business model going forward? Of course, that will affect things like growth, like uh, potential profitability in the future as well. And of course, whether this is going to deter uh, future listings on US exchanges as well. So plenty of questions, but that's where we're at at this point in the story, Karen. Arjun, thank you very much for breaking it all down for us. And uh, it did have a bit of a bearing on the Wall Street action as well. We saw intraday a little bit of appetite for the S&P 500 before it also faded. But a uh, real essential of caution just on the street. Those technology names uh, from China closely watched. Also more hawkish potential tone coming through in the minutes later on this week from the Fed. 
and investors also eyeing some of the data. You saw a slight cooling off in the very high levels granted on the ISM index uh, in this, for the services sector, still above that 60 handle, but down from the prior month. So investors just eyeing the impact of the Delta variant and what that is doing for the services sector at this stage. And you could see for the markets, it was a pullback of six tenths on the Dow, the S&P down two tenths, but still around record levels for the Nasdaq. That uh, push high yet again on the index, big moving stocks uh, that you saw for the Nasdaq. Amazon uh, had a, a positive, very strong positive impact on the Nasdaq. Let's take a look at energy because we've been covering uh, the moves by OPEC Plus to walk away from the latest policy meeting that's caused an uh, initial spike in the price of oil and uh, energy stocks returning to the trade yesterday today. You could see uh, also responding uh, to uh, some of the moves, but it was a downward push, 3.2% lower. Investors are trying to eye what it means for the market if some of these producers are not on the same page around production levels and whether that could, uh, away from this initial pop, mean actually that more uh, product is flooding into the market. And uh, perhaps that is a sense of the reaction you're getting. Let's take a look at WTI and Brent, also in lockstep. Uh, we are seeing uh, some moves again this morning, up about a tenth of a percent. But yesterday, don't forget, we saw the pullback on the trade yesterday on uh, the spot price. Brent uh, was down 3.4% and we had WTI off 2.4%. So just picking up off those weaker levels that we saw yesterday. Uh, Treasury markets, we are seeing that uh, caution. Markets very much watching this minutes that uh, we'll be crossing later on from the Fed this week. 1.35 is the yield. So we've pulled off the high levels again on that US 10-year yield. Asian markets, a quick look at what's playing out across the region. It is uh, more red for the Japanese stock market, 350-odd points in negative territory, or 1.2% down. Hong Kong, where we keep on talking about the impact of those big tech names and the regulation that's been circling these companies. It's a weaker trade. China trades positive in Australia, despite more lockdowns there. The country getting a bit of a, a snapback today. Don't forget there's been a little bit of pressure in recent sessions as investors have been eyeing the Reserve Bank of Australia and, any, and the taper around the bond purchase program. Well, let's push on as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will reportedly lobby G20 members to push for a higher minimum tax. That is above the rate agreed upon by over 130 countries last week. G20 finance meet, uh, leaders were expected to endorse the 15% tax floor during the weekend's meetings in Venice. According to Reuters, Treasury officials said other countries supported the hike, adding that the global corporate tax rate is tied to U.S. minimum tax legislation. A European Commission spokesperson told CNBC that Yellen and the EU's Competition Commissioner, Margrethe Vestager, had a good and constructive first exchange where they got to discuss digital tax and international tax talks. According to Reuters, Yellen expects the EU to put forth a new digital tax proposal. The French finance minister Bruno Le Maire says he believes the U.S. administration can convince bipartisan lawmakers to support the global tax agreement. Speaking to Steve in a first on CNBC, he encouraged Europe to set an example by reaching consensus on the landmark deal. It would be very much disappointing uh, if uh, some of the EU member states uh, would oppose such an important agreement. Uh, you know, these agreements that we can reach at the G20 level after the success of uh, the G7 under the presidency of my friend Rishi Sunak is clearly a groundbreaking agreement. And we should recall what is at stake. First of all, tax justice. 
because people are fed up with uh, tax avoidance and they want the digital giants to pay their fair amount of taxes. And they do not want the uh, most important companies to escape taxation. Second, economic efficiency. Because thanks to uh, this international agreement, I really think that we could build on a better economic efficiency. And the third point, which is clearly at stake, is also a financial issue because this international taxation would mean a total amount of more than 150 billion euros to finance the fight against climate change and public goods. So facing such an important agreement with uh, so many challenges at stake, I really hope that the very last EU countries that are still opposing this agreement will uh, join the uh, consensus and join the G7 and the G20 member states. Um, That is one barrier to overcome. What about the United States as well? The president will need some form of bipartisan support for this as well. Do you have concerns that that could also be a big area where this deal could be scuppered? First of all, I I would like to welcome the change of position uh, in the US administration. You know that France, from the very beginning of the last four years, has been advocating very much in favor of this new international taxation system for the 21st century. And let's recall that uh, at the beginning of this negotiation, we were quite alone. Four years later, we have the support of the US administration. That's very good news. And I fully trust uh, Janet Yellen and the American administration uh, to convince the Senate and to uh, convince all the members of the American Congress, that this is also in the interest of the American people to have this uh, international taxation agreement being implemented as soon as possible. What do you say, sir, to those amongst the Republican establishment that says this will be an economic surrender? It will send U.S. jobs overseas and strip away the U.S. tax base. It's not the case. Just have a look at the uh, agreement itself. It's not the case. Uh, I really think that... Uh, The technical uh, framework in which this agreement has been decided is clearly in the interest of all developed countries like the U.S. or all European countries. We are just putting the race to the bottom to an end. And this is also in the interest of American companies and the American people to put an end to this race to the bottom. Because the race to the bottom is uh, clearly a dead end for all of us. We need money to finance the fight, against climate, the fight against climate change. We need money to finance the public goods, uh, the schools, uh, the uh, uh, universities. If we want to be in a situation to uh, have the necessary public funding for those public goods, we need to implement as soon as possible this international taxation. And clearly, it is not against the US. It is not against any continent. It is in the interest of the public goods. So you've been consistent in your position. I remember speaking to you uh, in the wonderful weather in Chantilly a couple of years ago about this as well, about digital service tax. Now that's been replaced potentially by an EU digital levy as well. The Biden administration is very concerned about this and says it threatens the work undertaken by the OECD and the G20 process. Do you think this digital levy, which is, of course, running concurrently with your efforts at OECD level, do you think that could potentially uh, scupper cooperation with the US? Let's be uh, very clear. You have on the one side uh, the national taxation, 
uh, as you just said, we have implemented in France a digital national taxation. And I've been very clear with uh, the Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, as soon as the OECD agreement will be implemented, we will get rid of the French national taxation on digital services. The day it is implemented, this day we will withdraw our national uh, taxation. And I'm fully uh, ready uh, to take a legal commitment about that. Uh, second, you have the digital levy, which is something totally different at the European level. And I think that there is uh, a necessity to uh, explain to the US administration what is behind this digital levy. But the digital levy has nothing to do with taxation on the digital giants. Janet Yellen uh, should uh, attend a Eurogroup meeting, a meeting of all uh, European finance uh, ministers next week. I think it is a very good opportunity to explain to Janet what is behind this digital levy. It has nothing to do with a new taxation on uh, the digital giants. A terrific interview there with uh, Mr. Le Maire uh, by Steve, and I think touching on some very critical points at the moment. And um, we, I think, when initially there was this conversation about they were making progress on a 15%, there were reservations expressed about what the implementation would look like. And, and of course, there are still hangover issues here. And I think interesting that they talked about the United States, but in Europe, it's the same old countries, I think, that are still very resistant to progress on this. And given the way that the EU works, everybody has to agree ultimately to get this over the line. Ireland, of course, we've talked a lot about it's a notable holdout because it just doesn't want to see the tax rate moved, given how it's used tax itself as an incentive to bring American tech companies in and jobs. But it's Hungary and Estonia that are also part of the so-called awkward squad at the moment that are making life difficult for the French and others in the Commission who would like to get this over the line. And I, I don't know what happens here. There's that wonderful phrase, pork barrel politics, where you try and offer incentives to resistant politicians or parties to get them to agree to what you want them to do. Will there be special incentives now in inverted commas for those holdouts to get this deal to happen? Yeah, I think we've all been stunned that Ireland has stood back and distanced itself from this agreement. But the reality is, if you look at uh, where the Irish are with the corporation tax and this global minimum that's being proposed at the uh, G7 and OECD level, it's only a couple of percentage points off versus a few percentage points when it comes to Hungary. It's a much bigger gap to try and close there. And also a completely different structure when it comes to Estonia, where they're just taxing the dividend payments. So those two countries, I think when it comes to Hungary and Estonia, might be even more challenging. And when we talk about a unanimous agreement required from the Europeans for this to go through, that does tell you how challenging we still have the situation at as to whether the Europeans can fully sign up for the deal. And we talk about a G20, that's 19 countries plus the, the EU. We need the EU to be in lockstep on this issue. So you can see how much pressure has been applied behind the scenes to these three countries. When it comes to the digital levy, I think there's some confusion now about whether this sees the light of day. Uh, we've got these national digital taxes that will roll off if this, uh, this uh, accord on taxation gets through. 
But then what happens with the digital levy? Well, there's already concern that could lead to double taxation. So there's some talk about concessions and perhaps there might be a compromise if there is a global tax deal. So the future of this digital levy that uh, the Europeans are, are sort of going through the process of talking about negotiating might just be in vain anyway. It may not be necessary if we have this uh, global agreement on corporation tax. Two quick points. One, I think it's a twin track approach. I think uh, Monsieur Le Maire said very clearly, the moment there is a deal signed, then we will drop our digital tax. And I think there's probably a lot of sympathy with that position among other European countries. Having said that, as you point out, the process is still underway here and we will get a report, I think, either later this month or next month about how Europe intends to impose blanket-wide some kind of digital levy on American tech businesses and other tech companies. The other point I'd make is one that I think is more relevant to our investing audience here. If you look at all the data that we're digesting at the moment, it looks like the reflation trade is starting to flag. Everything is pointing to that. Oil came down a little bit. Yields are coming down in the United States. The uh, dollar is strengthening, not weakening. The equity market is running into some treacle here. All of that suggests that investors perhaps would be wise to continue to focus on growth rather than cyclical at this stage. The problem is you've got the Chinese now who are taking a stick to their own tech companies, and we saw the consequences of that on the wall earlier in the program. This tax represents another levy on global tech from the US and other parts of the world here. It's just another reason to have a good think about why you're going into a tech stock at the moment. And it just muddies the waters around trying to understand what the margin of profitability profile of many of these companies will look like. I think that just explains why we're treading water or grinding higher at the edges on some of these markets. There's a lack of direction because of so many complex issues to try and digest at this point. I mean, when it comes to this digital levy, uh, I think it's quite extraordinary. I mean, we've got a, this global corporate minimum that uh, the uh, Europeans have been very much pushing. If you get that through and then you get a digital levy too at the same point, is that a little bit uh, like having your cake and eating it? as we talk about process well, and what we've all been through with Brexit. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know what, to be honest with you, as cynical as I am at the moment, I suspect that we're going to have to wait quite a while to see either of these things mm. come to fruition. Well, it's 2023, isn't it, that best if we're going to be operational on a, a global Absolutely, tax. absolutely. OK, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. Still to come, a lot of other great stories for us to focus on this morning, so don't go away. Samsung's operating profit surging past expectations in the second quarter. Of course, demand for semiconductors remains strong. We'll have details in just a moment. And for more on the fallout from a Chinese crackdown on ride-hailing app Didi and what it means for the company's share price, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com.
The U.S. Defense Department has canceled a planned $10 billion cloud computing project. The JEDI contract, you know, that actually stands for Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract. It's not a Star Wars reference here. The, uh, the JEDI contract was awarded to Microsoft during President Trump's tenure, so the force has been with Microsoft. Uh, had uh, been put on hold, though, and now will be replaced, apparently. The previous administration wanted a sole provider for the project, but President Biden reportedly wants broader import Oracle, Google and IBM are all touted as possible names, in addition to frontrunners Microsoft and Amazon. It's a little bit like the uh, private sector where you see a lot of different cloud providers offer up the service, not yeah. just one. Uh, no truth to the rumour that I heard that President Biden said, these are not the contractors you're looking for. <laughs> I don't know. We could do this all day, couldn't we? May the force be with you if you're and, Microsoft uh, and Amazon, you're bidding for the Jedi contract. Uh, and clearly the Jedi is not returning in this case. <laughs> but uh, how many series? Uh, will this uh, return for? I mean, how many times could oh. we see this Jedi contract offered up again? I don't know. Uh, eventually, <laughs> it'll just get sold to Disney, won't it? Yeah, apparently. That's what happens to everything. <laughs> well, Samsung's operating profit likely surged 53% in the second quarter, beating market estimates on the back of strong demand and high chip prices. Let's get out to Sherry for more. Sherry, lots of moving pieces around the global chip shortage in the supply chain not to mention the pandemic trends around devices. Just uh, talk us through the latest and what the trends were from Samsung today. At least in the second quarter, and at least for Samsung Electronics, it certainly looks like the force of a strong memory chip prices played out. And uh, we're talking about Samsung Electronics guiding the market uh, with above the consensus estimates when it comes to the second quarter of performance. Revenue, 63 trillion Korean won. Operating profit, 12 and a half trillion Korean won. So that's roughly around 11 billion U.S. dollars in the June quarter, up 53% on year, up 33% on quarter and we don't get the specific breakdowns of its mobile and memory chips and uh, display business this time around just because it's the earnings guidance and we're going to get the full report later this month followed by the earnings call but it's really about that chip price like i said so trend force for example is talking about how dram prices have jumped close to 30 percent in the second quarter of this year and nand flash chips also is expected to have risen close to 9% in the second quarter compared to the first three months of this year. And a couple of other positives playing out. Remember what happened in the first quarter in February, Austin, Texas, winter storm hitting uh, some of the foundry business, including Samsung Electronics there. And that is becoming normalized and businesses are back on. So that is yet another positive compared to the first quarter. And there is also one-off gain coming from the display business that many analysts are talking about. So even though the mobile business have pulled back a little bit because of what happened in India and also in Vietnam with the virus situations in those markets as well as production hubs there for Samsung Electronics, it certainly looks like that have been offset. However, guys, going forward into the second half of this year, the question is really about whether these chip suppliers, including Samsung, will continue to have pricing power and whether the demand will stay intact. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.